The Healing the City podcast is a ministry of the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you enjoy the Healing the City podcast and wish to support it financially, you can go to villagersonline.com, click the We Give tab, and follow the instructions. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome to the Healing the City podcast. Uh, my name is Eric Siepen, and I am across from the table from my dad, and I'm really excited about doing a few podcasts with him. Uh, I don't think you really know what we're doing. This is just sort of a... Did I, did I brief you on any of this? No. Uh, so so any questions that I ask you, whatever we talk about, you're going to be just early morning dad. I've been up since six, so I'm good. Okay, good. <laughs> so one of the things I was hoping to do is just spend some time over this somewhat semi-sabbatical that I'm on until March having conversations with you about healing and your life in that and uh, your thoughts on things. So let me throw the first one at you. first question I had for you is I was at a pastor's uh, talk that you did and you defined soul care. And I really liked that definition. So I thought maybe you could just chat a little bit about what you think it is and Maybe it's difference between spiritual direction or just kind of have a conversation a little bit around that because that's, I believe, in your wheelhouse. Well, that was a rather interesting time with the pastors. I kind of got a little bit carried away. Oh, no, it was great. um, But basically, um, just for those that might be listening, a little bit of a... uh, I'm always... Well, let me me follow it up with, with a reference, but... Soul care is much different than psychotherapy. And so you think of, we, th- we use words like counseling, psychotherapy, soul care, spiritual direction. And we have people now doing life coaching. Co- life coaching. And, li- and I can talk on all of those, but soul care is essentially walking and journeying with someone who comes with a difficult issue to deal with. And rather than where psychotherapy would go, like I'm thinking of, uh, you know, like short psychotherapy, like, you know, being able to solve problems. Soul care is not about solving problems. Soul care is about walking with someone. And again, we're making a tacit assumption here that this person is wanting to walk with God, wanting to walk in God's will. And that's where I'll be coming from, is to walk with them into God's invitation in the midst of the problem. Now, obviously, I've been, in the early days, pretty highly influenced by Larry Crabb and his book, Finding God. Uh, The thesis of that book is we need to find God in the midst of our struggles. But Larry went later and moved more toward what you would call spiritual direction. But soul care is walking with someone into that invitation from God. And it may not necessarily result in a solved problem, but it will hopefully result in a deeper intimacy with Jesus and a uh, a transformation of, of one's soul to be willing to have on their heart what's on God's heart, which is his kingdom, and then being transformed within that kingdom and being concerned about souls. We live in an age 
all of us, I, I relate to this. We're, we're, we're so concerned about getting things solved and getting, being taken care of, and we lose sight of the kingdom, and we lose sight of what transformation is. Yeah, I really like that. that that's good. Um, and that's what I was hoping to have conversations about. So I mean, maybe you could talk a little bit. You started here in Tucson as a counselor. I mean, you, you have a different story in Tucson as a teacher, but you started as a counselor in the mid-80s, late 80s? We came, if you recall, <laughs> as our son, we came back to Tucson in 86. 86. And yeah, you, you came. You guys came, and you guys I mean mom and the kids. Mom, mom, and you, and 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 Joel and Wesley, and a couple dogs, whatever came, like April first yeah. of eighty six. I I was here early January and was doing some emergency teaching at uh, Eloy. But right. anyway, and then you started to practice, which was right. Biblical. I mean, almost immediately, I tried to begin in that direction. And, and the name of it was Biblical Counseling Associates. Right? That's correct. Was that Inc. Inc. <laughs> well, it later became it later became Inc. In it, as an S corp. Right. So you started doing counseling, and that had a really that was different than soul care, but had many of the different aspects. I mean, you began to develop your kind of idea of what soul care is over a thirty year period. Really, it seems. right. So what were kind of some of the keys in transition for you and being a professional counselor to someone who actually trains people to do soul care and is it, you know, and it has kind of changed your perspective on that in some ways, it seems. Ah, well, could, I'm trying to redirect me here. Um, how did it start out and then how the yeah. things changed? Yeah. Um, I came... When I came back to Tucson, it was very hard for me to, uh, what I did when I came back to Tucson in the fall of 86 is um, essentially began to just teach a group of people from uh, this one particular church that Gary Smith had pastored, and he was part of that, and I did two semesters of uh of basically what I learned in seminary and there was, there was taping and supervision and I did, you know, I was just kind of, they got the fire hydrant, you know, open up the fire hydrant and they got that. So, I mean, so you, you didn't, you immediately went into, I, I need to train people. Yeah. Well, what, I think that doesn't seem like the na- normal thing. A person who goes to and gets a counseling degree is thinking. In that well, let me go back a little bit. Yeah. If, if you look, if you look at the old, uh, old uh crab's book encouragement the key to caring which you are very familiar with and you have offered lots of those things from your own you've developed that pretty well within the village christian community quite frankly i think you've done i mean so in that book and it's no longer in newer editions actually it's a uh, uh that was crab's philosophy are we good yeah, we were having a little bit of ring off of it. I was trying to figure out what's going on. Um, the Krav's philosophy, when we when I went to seminary, it wasn't to become a Christian counselor. It was to learn how to help people who were struggling within the church. Right. If you recall, I came back and and you were at uh, you were going to be starting at Rincon High School, and I literally in the August, August of '86, I I still had an application in. And came very close to, and find, in fact, I got to the final two of a of a position at University High School, and I didn't get it, and I was sure that I would, 
I mean, I knew the head of the department. Come on. Well, I mean, God had other plans, and that didn't happen, and that's when I moved ahead full bore. And I think uh, – and, and and mom was a very big encouragement. I, I had a hard time just getting out there, but we I did do that. I immediately started training um, because that was – that was Crab's vision is to just to train up people who would could come into a local church and not be the person in the back room seeing 25, 26 people a week, but maybe see eight people a week or and but then begin to do training of those in the church to be able to care for the souls of others. Now again, the concept that I had then was 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 very different. I mean, it was very much looking at the deep longings, looking at, you know, we've all been victimized, but then out of our victimization, we have sinned and then moving people towards seeing the sin and moving toward repentance and that kind of thing. The idea of moving closer to Jesus, that was a lot later in my life. If you, you, you follow? Yes, and that, that's kind of, I was curious, like, what, what made that change? Like, I mean, because it's not that crab isn't about moving people towards Jesus, but there's a certain those modality that he has that you just kind of described in short. Um, it involves Jesus, but it's different. And you made a transition. Yeah, and actually, I it's hard to say that. I wish I could say that it was early in my career or mid career, but it was later. In fact, I was influenced by a book by a book edited by Gary Moon and um, Benner, David Benner. They have a book, and I don't have the. Uh, they, they wrote a book where they go over and they discuss these things, and in there, I w- I read this idea of soul care. I mean, and I, I tried to find it the other day, and I don't know whether I just surmised it from the reading, but basically, I, Benner talks about all the different modalities of things, and it's very confusing today. And you know, uh, so it was later, and I don't, I can't. And it's only been within the last, I'd say, eight, nine years, ten maybe, yeah. that I've had this different view. Now, of course, Crab has also, uh, Larry, you know, has passed away. Maybe it's coming up on a year, two years, maybe. But uh, significant loss, but there's nobody. He, he highly influenced me. And I, I do think his book, so I must, I must say that early on, uh, maybe way back even when we were in, was it we were in Fayetteville? Maybe we, I can't remember, maybe mid-90-ish, I don't know. When he, when he wrote Finding God, that was the beginning of some seed thoughts like, oh, in the midst of struggle, finding God, oh. But somehow Benner helped me crystallize it into a propositional statement. And um, so, can can you talk to just a little bit about what that looks like, like maybe in your life and, and people's lives that you've worked with, of walking into to suffering and pain and with the goal of finding Jesus versus solving the problem? Yeah, that's. I think we need to. Um, wow. That's hard. I mean, not a hard question, but here it is. Someone maybe comes in, and then I'll, I can share some of my own life. But who, who is struggling? Uh, it, it could be a variety of reasons: marriage, pornography, uh, uh, 
difficulty with children, uh, and and not to put aside and say there aren't some things that people need to do and some things they need to learn, but in the midst of that, they have a whole different mindset. But you can't really, we can't go anywhere with anyone until we walk into the narrative. And I'm very big on walking into the narrative. And some people, they, they do that in a back and forth way. I mostly just would listen, try to listen well to what they bring and say, you know, hey, look, yeah, that's, you know, whatever it might be. And if there are some things that need to be done, because there are times of things, sure. you know, you walk in. Sure. But you go to the, the narrative and you begin to walk in the narrative with someone looking for those places where God might have been in the past or or where are those points of, of today? We'd say, you know, where are the points of trauma? Where are the points where they've been sinned against? Where have they been a... You look at those points, you explore their story pretty detailed, and then um, then begin to enter uh, along the way. Sometimes that is back and forth. Other times you listen to the story and then you, you get into that and uh, you, you may find out where that person is. Let me back up and say, uh, I'm very big on when you meet with someone that if it's with, that you have them pray with you. And you pray before you start anything. Even when they come in, they're all flustered. You get an idea where they are in their walk with God. And in the narrative, you try to discern where is this person with with Jesus. It's very difficult, and I'm sure you've experienced this, to walk with someone and bring forth biblical categories and principles into someone's life, especially intimacy with God and what does that look like, if they're not partaking in the, as I grew up as a Catholic, and quote, I will use the word here if it's okay with you, the sacraments. Or if we want to walk with Calvin and a few others, I mean, along those lines, it's the means of grace. Are they participating in a means of grace, hearing the word of God preached, participating in Holy Communion every Sunday, um, being in community with other people, participating in prayer, uh, beginning to have, I mean, having time in the Word of God. I've, I've walked with some people, I go, I haven't been in the Word, they would say, I haven't, I don't go to church much uh, anymore, or, you know, I mean, I do off and on, and I haven't read my Bible in a half a year or more, I don't know, I mean, and then we're going to walk with someone into what that means. And so therefore, it becomes paramount to begin to, to, to try to get them involved in some of these disciplines and maybe back into a good church community and then be able to get them to give permission to talk to the pastor and or elders in that church to say, hey, this person is struggling. I'm seeing them. Let's work together. I mean, I tried that early on, and I found that it was hard. Partly on me, and churches just weren't prepared to deal with it. Right. It's like, hey, you're the guy in the corner. This need fixed. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Does that answer? Yeah, well, partly. Um, could you talk just a little bit about how that's happened in your own life and what that looks like? Wow. Like in hard spaces, how have you found God? Like what is in those spaces versus trying to have your problem solved? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's this is pretty hard. Um, well, let me go back. Um, 
You know, early on, I even in seminary, I don't know that I was there. I mean, I had a lot to deal with. Um, I, I will go back to what I shared with the pastors group. Honestly, in um, early, about 1993-ish, I went to a um, prayer summit. And people, if there are people are listening in Tucson or across the country, prayer summit movement began in the Northwest uh, Joe Aldridge, actually, um, who founded Multnomah, um, interestingly, was meeting with a group of pastors. I don't know if this was down in California area, wherever it was, and they were having a luncheon. And uh, he was talking about, oh, I wonder what would happen if a bunch of us just got together and prayed over a long period. And then, he, you know, he was going on in his message. One, one old gentleman in the back says, hey, Joe, let's do it. So that began a movement of show up for a weekend, three, four days, throw your cell phones or whatever, your bricks back in those days into a basket, and we're here, and we're just going to pray. So I went to one that was more of an international in Portland, and at that that time, I drew close to God in intimacy. I I was fearful of going. I didn't want to go. Jack Heald invited me. I didn't want to go. I don't like flying. I don't like getting on a, a silver bullet and sitting for, you know, I hate that. But anyway, God moved and I went and we're into, I had no idea what I was getting into. And as they talked, uh, we talked around a, a lunch table, I was asking who was teaching and who was talking about prayer. And they all looked at me in a strange way and said, you've never been anything like this. I said, no, I, what are we doing? Well, we're praying the rest of the afternoon and having a, a light meal. And then we're going to pray into the evening, maybe till 10. And I really wanted to go out along the Columbia River there because it was at a red roof. And I just wanted to walk and go away. But I stayed with it because I, I was afraid of that. And so I, I, I wish I could say that early in my life, there was that that intimacy, but at this time, I was so moved at the communion service of my sin against my wife. And as I shared, I, you know, just her enthusiasm for being very passionate about certain things, I would, that was frightening to me, and I would, I would minimize her. And then there was someone in town here. I shared it openly at the, at the, um, pastor's thing and I I kind of walked away from the pastor's thing. Wow, I, I feel a lot of shame now, but you know, Randy Reynolds and I have been part of this community for a long time and I had I had really slandered Randy and and so the sin against my wife and Randy Eric, I was on the floor weeping and feeling a closeness to Jesus that I have never ever felt before. Then from that point on I began to realize that wow this connection with God, this intimacy with God is, I haven't been here. But when he puts you to the floor and there's confession and I went and got with Randy, I talked to mom, I confessed and I believe, yeah, I, I did repent. And so was that soul care? That was the Holy Spirit doing soul care with me. I mean, that's what we need to be to one another is is how do we how do we move people into intimacy and with God? I mean, it. I must confess, early on, you know, get people down to where they realize they're in deep despair and that they need God, but 
and they've sinned, but if they don't have intimacy with God, Eric, that, none of that stuff matters. So I, I might ask you, I mean, you know, what does that mean? No, no I'm going to ask you, but go ahead. Well, I mean, so, so if you're sitting with someone and you're in, you're in the everyday life and you're not headed up to Portland for three hours or three days of prayer. Sure. What does that look like? I mean, you know, as you said, like the mom struggling with parenting and walks into your office. Good point. Um, what is, what is, you know, and, and, and of course, when you're in trial, some of the disciplines of life walk away when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. So some, I get what you're saying is making sure that those people are in, in regular spaces, but still there's this, you're, you're wanting them to, to hear and taste Jesus. Right. And I think some of the questions are how, how are you and Jesus doing? How is your walk with God? Can we talk about that? Yeah. You know, and then the person, the mom, okay, or dad are both there having trouble with parenting. Am I going to recommend that maybe they look at something and try to get into some kind of a help thing? Like, uh, yes. But I also want to, in, to juxtapose that with let, let's talk about where you are with Jesus and let's talk about where, what does that look like? I mean, what what's going on? I mean, and... I found myself later after that time praying with the people that came to see me a lot more. Um, not getting them, you know, what does intimacy look like? Yeah, I, you, you kind of have to, to answer your question, yes. You can't just say, well, you know, you just need to get right with God. Everything will work out. No, there are some things to learn. There are some training. There are things that can happen. That's why to have the guy or the gal on the corner doing this without any kind of integration within their their community or if they don't have a community then there you are you become their community and and the sustainability of that of them continuing to walk with god and that it, it, over a long period i mean you just look at it. even if i gave them free help right. which i did many times but it's just not sustainable yeah so you're you're saying in some ways soul care is so in a difference from counseling, if I go to a counselor and I'm like, I'm having trouble parenting and they give me the, the, the intention of the counselor might be to help you better understand your children, might give you some tips on and, and trainings on how to parent and, and maybe be more disciplined or X, Y, and Z. Um, but they're not necessarily, even if they're a Christian counselor, they might be giving you Christian principles, but they're not necessarily interested in the depth of your relationship with Jesus and how then that interacts with all of those things. Right. Um, and then what you're saying though, is for this to all be sustainable, really soul care is not about an individual in a room, but soul care is about a community of people Correct. worshiping God together who are concerned about the intimacy that you have with Jesus. And that's more concerning to them than how well you're parenting your child because they feel like that will come out of that versus I, yeah, and I think being, yes. So one of the things that you at the pastor's, there's a lot of interesting things that you talked about at the pastor's retreat, or little talk that you gave. One, one was, so, and it's linked to the soul care, but it's this idea of shepherding, and you challenge the pastors to shepherd. And you come from, I mean, at least, you know, from the brethren movement, where it's all elder-driven, you do have a very shepherding mindset when, when you think about people. I mean, you came and, I mean, you were, planting a church when you were a principal 
or vice principal at Miami High School. You had a little church in your house. Part of why you went to be uh, a counselor was to figure out how to deal with people's yeah, problems. Yeah, mom, mom and I would run into things. Yeah. And we'd go like, what do we do with yeah. this? I have no idea. Right. And then in Miami, Arizona, there wasn't a lot of counselors sitting out on the street <laughs> looking, yeah, especially in the mid-early 80s. Right. Yeah, that's not, early not a thing. So shepherding has always been a big deal. You come back here and you're training people. Even when we went to Fayetteville, you were training people. Like that's what you were, you wanted to create community of people who could help each other. I mean, that's kind of been your mission since probably you became a Christian at some level. Well, I think at some level, I think, you know, that again, I would say that, yeah. So I, I put that background there because I'm wondering as Two things, and one, just first, could you talk a little bit more about what is it? What what would you hope for from pastors as they look at their con- congregations and and really move into their communities? And, and I know each congregation is a different challenge based on size and organizational structures and all of that, but there is a mindset and a way of understanding so that you, I think, you really long for in churches. Yeah, I'd like to see that. I mean, I yeah. I, well, what it would it look like? So. What would you what what would you want a pastor to do? Like an everyday pastor who's a pastor of a church of I don't know seventy five people, so it's not a big church, which is the majority of the churches in the world. Seventy five people. You got your one pastor. Wow. Well, what would you want from? What would you hope for in that? Well, I was highly influenced by uh, Richard Baxter's uh, book, The Reformed Pastor. Obviously, that's not. Even though he was a Puritan, he uh, he had some major stuff going on. He was a that book, the Reformed Pastor, was about a, a reformed view of 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 how do we interact with the congregation. And, and of course, he had the uh, he could visit all of his congregants, right? Either like you mentioned, it I think he did some horseback. Yeah, he got on his horse and rode to places. Yeah, but he could also probably walk to yeah. some. Yeah. And back then they walked more than we do today, and they were probably lean and mean. But, um, but the Puritans, uh, you know, they're an interesting group. Um, but that book highly influenced me. I believe that pastors, um, well, Church of 75, hopefully you'd have another elder maybe that you could visit and discern where each person was and family members. More than just saying, oh, okay, uh, say you had two elders and yourself. Let's just pray for uh, John and Patty. Yeah, they're going, okay, pray for them. Okay, who's next? Go into the home and spend time in finding out where people really are, just relating to them. One of the pastors at the, at the, at the little luncheon there, and I kind of felt I went. I went along, but he asked, "Like, what can I do?" And he's 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 a person who's an is the major teaching pastor. And I I suggest that he just pray through, and him and his wife find one or two people and just visit them and pray with them and and discern where they are. Now, in a smaller church, it's easier to do that. I would say going into the homes is important, and. Maybe that's just too idealistic, but um, how do you do that in a bigger church? Tough problem. You got to marshal your elders to try to divvy up people uh, somehow. I, I don't have a real model cool. for that. Well, I'm just like, why do you think? Why do you think relationship isn't? 
well, I kind of know the answer to this question, but I, I mean, I think what I have seen is I have walked with people as a pastor for a long time, but then also watched you prior to all of that is that relationship within the community of God isn't actually a high as a high priority, like, um, honest, authentic relationship. Um, right. The baseball and softball relationships are there. And even bringing the meals when somebody is sick is there. I mean, a lot of good things happen in the church, but really knowing what's happening in someone's life. Why, why do we avoid that? Why is that both as leaders in the church and just as a community in general? Requires a lot. We have a mindset in this country of um, we're doers. Uh, we got to get things done, got to solve problems. Um, it's real hard for us to just relate. I, 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 I relate to all this. I mean, I'd like to get problems solved. I want to jump in, get it done. But we don't do that, so it is very difficult. It takes a lot of time. If you're an elder at a church, I'm thinking of some people I'm familiar with. They they lead a community group, but right. do they really are they really in those homes with those people outside of the community group time? Probably not. These are people who have full time jobs. Right. They're probably working a minimum forty five hour week, fifty sometime, forty forty to fifty, maybe a couple kids young family and they're gonna do what go to an elders meeting and once a month once every two weeks i don't know and they lead a community group or whatever uh what happens uh when there's problems in the church uh you know are they here's the big deal no matter how big or small i should be able to i should be able with you right now to say okay let's just take the church directory and let's just go how is so and so doing right if you're going to be a shepherd of a church and people come they're the sheep and, and 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 again, I, I'm not condemning anyone here. I don't even know how I would do. I mean, it's hard yeah. to have the eyes of Jesus, and he's tired. He is burned out. Well, Lord, forgive me. He was tired, and the people followed him. And he goes, he looked upon them with compassion. Yeah. And we read in Ezekiel 34, the the elders of Israel. That, that was a that's a condemning passage. I mean, the, the question is, is do you know your sheep? Do you know what really is going on? Are you willing to step into the hard things, even if you don't know how to handle it? Right. And I don't, I don't see that in the church. I could give you an example in my early practice where a young woman came in and her husband, and she had, through another trauma, her, she became flooded with memories of her, of her sexual abuse as a young girl. And it was troubling her. And she said, this is confidential, right? I said, absolutely. I found out where they went to church, and I said, Are you in, no, you cannot talk to anyone in my church. I do not... I said, I won't do that. I don't, I don't want any, I don't want the pastors to know. I don't want anyone to know that I'm here and talking about this. It really broke my heart. We met for a while and then they stopped coming. I, I, I just, I don't know what to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's really messy. Um, life is messy. And I mean, you've spent your life working in people's messes. Right. Yeah, you know, that's that's what you do for, did for a living, and in many ways you still do. Um, no, I, I think it's I think it's really helpful. I, I like the idea of well, I like that. I think it is what God invites us into is how do we help people find Jesus in the midst of their sorrow and pain, and I, I think there is an expectation that we solve things for people. Um, and we all, it, even just forget as counselors, I see this, you know, when someone brings a problem and they're like, 
hey, you know, this thing happened to me yesterday and I felt this way. Everybody usually wants to give you a solution to how to deal with it next time, right? What what you should be thinking. Um, but they don't really just ask what you experienced and where Jesus might have been in that space for you. Right. And I think, um, honestly, to be real, real honest with you about what, you know, not honest, but I one of the things that I, this has been a while ago, but I was working through a really hard thing with some things within the family. And I find myself getting angry and frustrated and wanting to jump in. And, and mom said to me, are you willing to sit in your sorrow and grief? And I remember not being in a very spirit driven moment where I went, no. And she goes, honey, you need to, are you willing to sit in sorrow? And I, and, and of course, characteristic of my relationship with, with mom is like, she goes, you know, I'll just let you, I know that you listen to God. I'll just let you sit with, him. I mean, so I sit with God and it's like, Lord, I help me to sit in sorrow. And it's hard. Yeah. I to sit in sorrow and grief. And honestly, maybe there's no solutions. I mean, is, Let me, can I diverge a minute? Yeah, go, go. You, you know that, that I, uh, uh, you know my history of, of being raised Catholic. I, I'm working slowly through, I have been for a while, working through Dietrich von Hildebrand's, um, he was considered a real doctor of the Catholic Church. He was a philosopher, actually. Fled, I mean, wrote against Hitler and fled in, to, to Austria and then the U.S. And he wrote against the, the Nazis and he was on the hit list. They wanted to murder him. But he, his book, Transformation in Christ, has been so helpful to me. And I'll tell you in two ways. And this goes back to a previous question. There have been things in my life where I have sinned. Okay, let me say, sinned against my, my dear wife, Patty. And she would, there, was a, there are times that she would bring things up of the past. And I said, that's the past that's dealt with. Dietrich von Hildebrand helped me understand that and this is what I heard from the Spirit of God reading him. He's, it's not the Bible, but it was like, he says, when people bring up that, that's part of the ongoing process of repentance, John. And so I have learned to be silent and say, Lord, thank you for this, another opportunity to repent of this grievous sin. And more recently, and some of the struggles going on, you're aware of that, uh, some things in our family, but... He talks about justice. And Eric, if you know me at all, you know that I'm big on justice and I can go to vengeance quickly. Not killing people, but I mean, you know, okay, you're going to, I'm going to twist your arm emotionally. You will submit. Um, he goes, he talks, Hildebrand talks about, There is a there is a moralistic, naturalistic sense of justice that that, that stays in the natural, and, and that has value. But in reality, in God's economy, it's about the kingdom of God. Am I willing to walk into the kingdom of God and the salvation of souls and the transformation of souls? and my own included, or do I want to rain down vengeance like uh, John and was it Peter when they said, do we need to bring fire from heaven, Lord? I think it was James and John. James sons, and John. Sons of thunder. Yeah. yeah. 
And <laughs> James and John, not Peter. Although he could be that way. Um, so I, I don't know if that's clear, but it was like I thought, oh, Lord, forgive me. Middle of the night, I said, Lord, I, I've been trying to make all this other stuff happen. I, I'm, I have all these, my, my imaginations and my, my mind, and it's about your kingdom. Your kingdom's about souls. It's about transformation of lives. You, you handle all of that other stuff. It, 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 and again, we go to the verse, you know, vengeance is mine, but it's deeper than that. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, am I really interested? I mean, I, am I, do I want to go into the supernatural? So heavily influenced by the natural. And we live in a world that uh, is moving more and more away from the omagio dei. I mean, it's moving artificial intelligence, transformational humanism. Eric, it's... And we in the church need to be crying and pushing back against all of that with fervor. Right. Nice thoughts there, Dad. You're gonna... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm pounding on the table for those of you listening. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really good. I I really appreciate just those reflections, and um, I think it's helpful in just in talking about the healing process. One of the things, and, and then I think we'll probably just wrap this episode up. But I. So one of the things when you tell somebody, okay, so you don't want to run past grief and you don't want to run past sorrow, right? To, to solving and to fixing and to like where you sure. were at. But could you, can you just shortly talk a little bit of what exactly it, is it for a human being to be in sorrow and grief without being in despair? Because I mean, despair is a very dangerous place to be. It's not, it's not sorrow and grief. No, it's not sorrow and grief. And despair uh, is, is it could be, obviously, we would think of hopelessness. And in Christ, there is hope. And uh, we need to hold on to hope. We need to wait for God. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to hold on to hope? Are we willing to look through, are we willing to look through God breaking through? Or are we going to demand our uh, that that we're gonna we're we're gonna be our own god. I mean, I I know that I want to get away from away from even that. I I, I it's it, it's 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 idolatry. Mm. And I think I've all of these things I have sinned greatly in. I mean, idolatry to try to think I can pull life off. So the living, walking in sorrow is an opportunity to uh, oh. Help me out here. By well, my, let me just finish. It's an opportunity to be in fellowship with Jesus in his sorrow and his grief when he looked over Jerusalem, when he, his heart was broken. Even before he brought the flood, he was, his heart was so grieved. Uh, it, in German, it would be, es drückt mir des Herz. I mean, it's like, it, it just broke his heart. It, it's, and, are we will, and it's an opportunity to walk in the sorrow of Christ. Hmm. So in a sense, it's it's acknowledging your own sorrow, but really, when in the sense of when finding God in your own sorrow is joining God in His grief and sorrow, not only for where you're at, but for all things. And this this is interesting because one of the our last uh, podcasts we did, we were talking about um, a forgiveness, and one of the things. The Fred Luskin, who's a, a scientist, uh, said this, that one of the things in helping people uh, work on forgiveness is to help them step back 
and realize that we all are in the stream of suffering, right? And there's this idea that we're all flowing down, kicking each other in the head and being kicked in the head. And Jesus is the only one who leaps in to the, the river of suffering to, to deal with it and to, hmm. and, and doesn't kick anyone in the head. And I think in some ways there, that's part of what sorrow is, is understanding that like we are in suffering, but Jesus took all of that on. And so it's his suffering, which we are joining in, in a sense, like it's, it's not about us anymore. For, and right. And I, I think for me, like that's, a, it gives you permission to have the feelings of, of sorrow, the sadness of weeping, but, it, but you're not in control, which you kept touching on. Like the idolatry is control. Like I need to be in control. I need to solve this problem. I need to get myself out of this feeling. I don't want to be here. I need to just make it all go away and be better. And um, Yeah. it's a. I, I think one of the things is it's, it's solutions are very easy to line out, lay out. Suffering and grief and, and, and sorrow are not. They're not. You don't get the five steps of sorrow. I mean, people would like to give you them, but... Sometimes it's, no, there is no five steps. There's a hope of Jesus, and, and then there's going yeah, I, swimming. Right, and I, I bring up, uh, you know, uh, your dear wife and Patty and, and learning to love the master. Uh, I gave it to a friend of mine who's a psychologist who worked in the prisons. I mean, we're, yes. Um, he, uh, I asked him, you know, I, I sent it to him, and he sent, it, he sent me a note back, and he said, that book, chapter three of that book is worth the whole book. Oh, wow. And it's on suffering. Hmm. And there are some good points in there if someone has that. But anyway, yeah, you said that well. I, I like that illustration of the river. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. Well, Dad, I'm, I'm glad that you were willing to jump in with me and just go for it. Um, I, have, I, I had meant to send you a list of topics I had that I wanted to talk about. But, uh, so I'll make sure I get that to you because I've got okay. about eight or nine topics that'll be fun to chat about with you. Oh, good. It's good to be here with you, Eric. Yeah, that's really fun. Thank you. Well, uh, you've been listening to Healing the City Podcast. If you have any questions or you want for my dad or anyone else at Healing the City, you can email healingthecity at gmail.com or villagersonline at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Have a good day.